the secrets of a secret agent were not that secret even in 1936. Join us as we take a close look at the 1936 Hitchcock movie, Secret Agent, and its influence on future spy movies, and how sometimes being a secret agent is just not all that secret. Hi, this is Tom Pizzato. And Dan Silvestri. From SpyMovieNavigator.com, a worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and in Google Play. That helps us a lot. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and on Instagram, too. And when you have feedback, an idea for a podcast, something you want to say, just click that red button on the website that says send us a voicemail. Or send us a message, and we may include it in our show. So join us as we're cracking the code of spy movies. So Secret Agent was Hitchcock's second spy movie after The 39 Steps in 1935. So look for our podcast on that one. And he directed a lot of great ones after that, like North by Northwest, Notorious, The Man Who Knew Too Much, and, and a lot more. So here's just a few anecdotes from Hitchcock because, hey, we're doing another Hitchcock movie. He, Hitchcock never watched any of his films in a real theater setting with an audience which is weird yeah if, that if, would be you, you put all that time in and then yeah. you don't see how people react yeah so somebody asked him while he was being interviewed one time did he miss the thrill of hearing the audiences scream and he said to them i can hear them scream when i'm making the picture oh that's good <laughs> is that good it's like okay that's yeah, how good I, I am i like that one that was good yeah and uh, of his films he said hey many films are pieces of life mine or slices of cake slices yes and what was his mission to simply scare the hell out of people he said i love it and then lastly he said the more successful the villain the more successful the picture and this is like the formula for spy movies yeah absolutely right? the more successful the villain the more successful the picture this is great so let's get on to hitchcock's second well, I mean, spy what, movie. What, what i love about that is if you think about it when you talk about a like a Bond movie or a Mission Impossible or something like that, you don't just talk about what Bond's doing. It's like who's his adversary? Yeah, right. And who is you want to know the who, villain? Like right villain? now for No Time to Die, everyone's like, "What's the villain? What's what's yeah. the villain going to be what's doing? What's Rami this doing? Thing? Yeah, yeah, right." So we'll get on to Hitchcock's second spy movie, 1936, Secret Agent. Now this is based on a novel by W. Somerset Maugham, Ashenden was the name of the novel by mom and this is the weird thing okay he's a novelist but he was actually recruited in 1915 by the british secret intelligence services to be a spy so he is considered the first author of a spy novel who was actually an agent or in the intelligence services so this is pretty cool that is pretty cool right. So, and he went to Geneva spying. He went to St. Petersburg, Russia spying and so on. And all of this, in fact, he wrote a bunch of novels after that based on his spy experiences and the secret, the secret intelligence service that I, you know, you can't, you can't print that. That's a violation of our code. And he, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a great, this is a great plot. These are secrets. <laughs> and so he, he literally burned them. But so Ashenden is really the only surviving stuff that he wrote that is based on his experiences. So, and we'll see as we go into the, into the film that 
the, the main character was an author uh, and turned into a spy. So here we go. This is another really interesting spy movie from the 1930s, and this one sets the tone, characters, and plots for many, many spy movies to come. In Secret Agent, British intelligence fakes the death of Edgar Brody, John Gilgood. Yeah, let me stop. Let me stop you there. Right, you just mentioned John Gilgood. Yeah, this great cast. Guy. This cast is unbelievable. So the first time I watched this, I didn't know that was John Gilgood. I remembered seeing him the first time in Murder on the Orient Express, and then as Hobson and Arthur. Here he is, forty-five years earlier in a movie. I had no idea it was him, but he's also one of only fifteen people that have won the EGOT, which is the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and Tony Awards. So you got him in there. Then you've got Madeline Carroll, and really, I call her the mid-1930s spy movie queen. She starred in the 1933 movie *I Was a Spy*, which was actually based on a true spy story from Belgium. And then in 1935's *39 Steps*, we talked about her there. And now we're talking about her in 1936 Secret Agent. And then what can you say about Peter Lorre? I mean, the guy's amazing. And what a great role for him. He's really he's fabulous in and, everything he does. And in this one, I mean, he's just hilarious. He's providing the main comic relief, but he's also the one who does the killings. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's, he's, the, he's the guy, right? But he was also in two other spy movies, The Invisible Agent in 1942 and in uh, 1995's Confidential Agent. Even uh, Caper's wife was played by Florence Kahn. She was actually an accomplished stage actress. She'd never been in a film studio before. She'd never even seen a movie before. And then she plays that role of the, the, the German wife. It was, it was really cool casting. Yeah, the cast is spectacular. We're going to assume you saw the movie, but just in case you haven't seen the movie, we're going to go through some parts of the movie and we're going to tell you what's going on in the movie because we think there's a lot of connections between this movie and other spy movies that it's going to influence because again this is 1936 so in secret agent here the british intelligence fakes the death of edgar brody now he was an author and also a captain in the army and so they want to send him on a mission to switzerland but under a new name and he is supposed to locate and kill a german spy so in this film, he's working with a woman, uh, Madeline Carroll, as you mentioned, fabulous, who for purposes of the spy game is posing as his wife, who will meet her at, for the first time in Switzerland at a hotel called Hotel Excelsior. And also they're going to meet up with the general, which you mentioned, Peter Lorre, who <laughs> is a great, that was a fabulous great in everything he does. Of course, looking back from now through 1936 when this film was released, we immediately think of the James Bond 007 film Thunderball from 1965. This is where the death of Spectre spy number six, Colonel Jacques Bouvard, is faked. Yeah. The spy's dressed and he's posing as his own widow at the funeral. I love that. And, and, the, and his casket is emblazoned with JB, which we see first before we see Bond. Yeah. It makes the audience think, hey, maybe that's uh, James Bond dead. Right, so this operative had killed two of Bond's colleagues and Bond sees through the guise of Bouvard and was waiting for Bouvard at his chateau. There's that really violent fight scene that ensues. It, it is a great fight scene. Oh, it is. It is. It's one of the better ones. Bond finally kills Bouvard with a fireplace poker. So he then escapes with that jetpack flying off to his waiting Aston Martin. Which was a real device. Which was a real device. Which you can hear about in our podcast about real world stuff in spy movies. And again in 1967, in one of our favorite pre-title sequences, James Bond Funeral is the center stage of... You only live twice, 
where M and MI6 faked the death of Commander Bond, complete with burial at sea, so he can spy in Japan to discover how American spacecraft are getting captured in space. Actually, Dan, this is actually one of the few James Bond things where the pre-title sequence starts with one part that they then immediately carry over right after the title sequence. So he gets murdered in the pre-title, they do the title sequence, and then they cut into the burial at sea. Yeah. In Secret Agent, much like in You Only Live Twice, the opening scene is a wake or funeral, this time of a soldier slash author who has died. In the film, it is May 10th, 1916, so the action will take place during World War I. With Edgar Brody dead, Edgar Brody is assigned a new name, Richard Ashenden, and is issued two passports, one American, one British. And another interesting connection here is R in Secret Agent assigns Brody the mission. And of course, we all know it's M in Bond assi- in Bond uh, films who assigns Bond his missions. Here we see for the first time in spy movies, the one pulling the strings identified only as one letter, R. Though in Secret Agent, he does say rhododendron is what R stands for. Yeah, now that, that really was just a joke, right? He's like, you know, it's, it stands for rhododendron, right? Yeah. Whatever. But before the movie ends, there's a scene right at the end of the film, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what's on this postcard a little bit later, but he's congratulating the generals from the thing, and there's a postcard on his desk. And in the postcard, in the clip that you can see if you watch the movie from YouTube, you don't get to see this. It, the, it's addressed to Colonel C.R and then it's cut off on the right-hand side of the screen. Mm. On the DVD version I have, you actually see Colonel C.R.R.A. and then the start of a tall letter, so it's not rhododendron. Mm. So that's another secret name. He's You still don't know what yeah. the name is, Yeah, but that's where the R is coming from on there. The other thing I like about this is the office where he's doing this in kind of had an M feel to it. It was a dark yeah. office. Yeah, right. He had the big desk in the middle of it, the fireplace behind him. He, the, the agent has to walk across the room to him, yeah. just like Bond does in his interactions with them. So this, this is a great scene here in the opening part. Watch the very solemn scene of the wake, the haunting music as people file by the closed coffin, and the scene when everyone leaves the room except one which really sets up the rest of the spy movie because as he moves the coffin after everyone leaves, <laughs> yeah, that's great. He, he drops it and you see it's a wooden coffin and it's empty. Yeah, there's nothing in there. Yeah. And of course, the setup is they bring in Brody and they're talking to him there. And Brody didn't even know what was going on because he said, when I got back to England, I read the newspaper, I found out I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? That's got to be a little. Uh, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. So so R asks him. The, I love this. R asks him, "Do you love your country?" And he says, "Well, I just died for it." <laughs> so that's good. That sets up that, the rest that, of the movie, and that shows your love for country. Yeah. So Bro- Brody just said that he read the that he was dead in the in the newspaper, and it's really similar to the headline we see in the newspaper in "You Only Live Twice." It, the newspaper's on the edge of this table where that guy's looking through the binoculars at the uh, ships to see the funeral at sea or the burial at sea of right. Commander Bond. And the headline is, 
British naval commander murdered. Yeah. So very, very similar We've type thing. We've seen it thing. before. We've seen it before. <laughs> and this is another area where the uh, secret agent influenced a future movie. After arriving in Switzerland, they stay at the Hotel Excelsior, and they're told that the uh, German spy was sta- where the German spy was supposedly staying. Yeah. So they're supposed to meet someone who's working both sides and can help them. So they're they're in rooms two, three, four, and two, three, five, and that's where Ashenden actually gets to meet his, his w- wife, his wife uh, Elsa, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, put the put the quotes around that one, right? And it's all part of the cover. And I actually love the way they did that because when when he meets her for the first time, there's somebody else in the room. Right. And they play it like they're, oh, I'm so glad you're here and everything. Like, we're, 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 you know. Yeah, it's a great scene. Yeah. And again, this reminds us of other scenes to come in other spy movies, right? Like The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. Where, uh, 1977. Yeah, with James Bond and Triple X. Triple X. Right. And she's posing as Bond's wife, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Sterling. And in From Russia with Love, Bond is traveling with his wife, the Russian cipher clerk, Tatiana, and their Mr. and Mrs. David Somerset. Yeah, and Somerset, again, hey, this was this book, Secret Agent, based on the book Ashenden, was written by W. Somerset Mom. Yeah, I mean, there, there's all kinds of instances <laughs> where these old events from older films like this, the, the, the name of the author or something you see in the film, influences future spy movies. Absolutely. And so when Brody meets his wife and this other guy named Marvin for the first time, notice the lighting and the camera angles. It all adds to the mystery, the confusion, and the intrigue of this scene. Yeah, and the, the rapport among all three of them is terrific. I mean, it's just absolutely flawless and perfect that you see them interacting with each other. And you, you don't think this is acting. You think, oh, this is actually kind of happening part of that is you've got you know one of the greatest stage actors ever Gilgood. Right? In, in Gilgood you've got Madeline Carroll and then Robert Young, Robert Young. Terrific. is I forgot to mention him earlier he's he's the one who's playing Marvin so I mean you've got very good acting talent in this scene so we're continuing through the film again we're going to cut through pieces of the film just to highlight the parts that we think influenced other movies to come so here they they cut to a scene where a suspicious older man a bearded man steps into a shop and he's handed a note and it's a little mystery to it about what's going on and upon exiting he reads the note which is in german but it's translated for us it morphs into english novelist brody reported dead arrived today hotel excelsior on espionage work take steps Okay, his cover is blown already, <laughs> just like uh, Commander Bond with the whole thing in You Only Live Twice. They kind of know who he is pretty fast at the end uh, when he gets to Japan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, he's he's just checked in here. Yeah. He's just checked into the hotel, yeah. and here we're seeing the novelist. He's He arrived today. Yeah. He was supposed to be dead. All right, so we've all wondered how everyone knows of James Bond in the movies. He uses his real name often, and everyone seems to know he's Bond. Even in You Only Live Twice, like we just said, with the elaborate scheme to fake Bond's death, which is a great pre-title sequence, eventually they get the idea that Bond is alive. Here, for the first time in spy movies, in Secret Agent, they know Brody is not dead. So there's where that idea came from, maybe. Possibly. Perhaps. But there it is, 1936. 
So we'll, we'll go to another scene in the movie. And again, we're tying this into a few other elements in other spy movies, which is the important part. So they, they Brody and the general, Peter Laurie, are supposed to meet this guy. Remember the guy, he had a, a, a name in an envelope. He was supposed to meet this guy. He was supposed to be the guy who had worked both sides of the fence with the Germans and the British, and now he's on the British side. He kind of knows where this guy, the German spy, is. So they're meeting him in this in this church and the generals and Brody it's Ashington are supposed to walk into the chapel and light three candles that's supposed to be the signal you've got to have a signal so the guy yeah I mean it's a spy stuff so that the guy knows what's happening so this scene is really kind of a cross between the scene at Aya Sophia Mosque in from Russia with love and a typical Hitchcock suspense film not knowing what will happen in this dimly lit kind of suspicious looking church they hear organ music, and that's kind of spooky in the background. And they find a man slumped with his hands on the keys. He's been strangled. That may have been their contact, or he's the one who now knows where the contact was, but he's been silenced. And they find a button in the dead man's hand. So they think, ah, this could be a lead to the killer. Now, now one of the things I like in this scene is he makes the comment that he should that uh, the general should light three candles as a code signal. Yeah. And you see code signals in lots of different spy movies. In I Am a Spy, the movie that Madeline Carroll won from 1933, they hide notes in lots of things, but there's not really a, here's a code to let somebody know that mm -hmm. this has happened. But you think about something like Funeral in Berlin. They, I don't remember if it's a plant in a window or something like that, that becomes the trigger of here's something that's happened, and they move it around, and depending on where it is, it's telling you that something's up. And you see this more, okay, if you do this, these people now know that's right. that's done because you've, you've done something totally unrelated, but natural looking. Right. So somebody, they're not going to notice it. So after they're done with that and they get out of that church, they go to the casino. So here we are. Yeah, we got a casino we, scene we in got a spy movie. A casino in a spy uh, movie. Tuxedos, yes. Yes, and they actually talk about having to dress to go to the casino. Yes, yeah. You don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, no. So they go, and Elsa is again with this Marvin guy. Right, who's like hitting on her like crazy at this party, and he's he's charming her and talking about having children when they settle down. Yet he knows she's there supposedly with her husband. Yeah, I know. He's only he only knows Ashton as her husband at this point in the movie. Yeah, but he is consistently playful with her. Yes, absolutely. And we see that playfulness. And she's going back. Yeah, she's she's giving it back to him too. And we see that same kind of thing with Bond and Miss Moneypenny. I mean, there's that constant flirtatious stuff going on. Yeah, nothing really happening, but all the flirtatious stuff going on. And then what happens is at the roulette table, Ashington drops the button on the roulette table. And apparently, I'm not sure why. I mean, apparently, was thinking he's going to sniff he, out the spy? He gets bumped in the back, and it kind of looks like it's going to be an accident that he's dropping the button, but he does toss it. Yeah. And so now what? what why is he doing that? I don't know. You're thinking maybe he's trying to, what, uncover? Yeah, maybe? I'm thinking he's trying to sniff out who the spy is. Yeah. I uh, mean, that's like a one in a million shot. Yeah. He's going to throw the button down and hope somebody's going to say, oh, shoot, there's a button that, there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he didn't suspect Marvin at this time. So, did he? No. No. So, I, I don't I don't exactly know where he was going with that. But yeah. But he, it was definitely a deliberate act. Yeah. That, yeah. He. And so, Marvin sees that. The button lands on the table, and he, he sees another guy across the table, this guy named Kapor, and he says, this belongs to you, doesn't it? Because the guy has a jacket, a, a sport coat 
kind of thing on with the exact same kind of buttons. Yeah, they, they look the same, but this this is really odd to me what happens here because I watched this scene about 10 times. I even went back and went frame by frame because I could not I find know. a missing button. I did the same thing. On Caper's vest. You look, he has four buttons on his left sleeve, yeah. four buttons on his right sleeve. His vest has his buttons. You can see all the buttons on his vest except where he has the jacket button and you don't see the... Maybe there's another button on the vest that yeah. maybe pops but, up. We don't know but that. But even with multiple side shots of everything, I don't see a missing button. Yeah. Yet, he says, well, I suppose it must be me. It's like he took ownership that, yeah, that must be my button. But he did look, too. He looked yeah, at his jacket. Looked. It was it was really weird. <laughs> yeah, but so. it ends up being a really big mistake for him. Yeah. Because Asheton's now convinced that this is their man. Yeah. They're thinking this is the guy who killed the organist because that's where the button came from organist hand so this guy's basically signed his death warrant i mean yeah, exa- by doing this. exactly so then they find out the guy's actually leaving in a day and a half so they don't have a lot of time they gotta move quickly they gotta figure out okay this is the german spy they think because the button they think matches his jacket button this is the button they grabbed out of the organist's hands and that's the button of the murder so this had to be right? the guy who murdered so the, that, the that's the what the they're thinking so they got to go get him and they're gonna have to do it quickly so we're going to see another kill here coming up. They're planning to kill this guy. Now, we saw, of course, the organist killed here. So this isn't the first kill in a spy movie. The organist has been killed. And actually in... In, in 39 Steps, steps Annabelle, Annabelle Smith. She was killed. She in, was killed in, in there. So. Yeah, and she was an agent. So now we got, we're going to see what happens to this guy. And, and this is a cool scene because uh, they set the whole thing up. He's gonna, They're going to go on a mountain hike. They wanted a guide. And eventually they set it up for this guy to be the guide. So cutting short here... They're going to go to the mountains. So the general and Ashenden are going to kill this guy because they think this is the spy. So here we have a big, beautiful mountain scene. And we're going to see again, lots of mountain scenes in spy movies to come, right? You're going to see it in The Spy Who Loved Me. You're going to see it in Spectre. You're going to see it on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And for your eyes only, Mission Impossible. You're going to see a lot of mountain scenes. Very beautiful scenes, but... Here you got it really for the first time in a spy movie. And there's actually a cable car in here. So there's the, there's the yes. with the wooden benches and everything. And it kind of reminded me of our trip to Shiltorn. Yes. Uh, and yeah, you love the cable car. Yeah. Or or there's the cable car in, in Moonraker too. But the thing is, there's a really it's it's maybe a second, a second and a half where you actually hear cowbells. And when uh-huh. we were on those on that one ride where we went from Vangen to Grindelwald when we were doing our Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service tour. Yeah. Those cowbells calmed me. It was so nice, and it was really cool to hear it here in the, in this film. Again, you hear that in, in in on Her Majesty's. So the murder takes place at the mountain, and the general was the one who pushed the guy off yeah. the mountain. Made it look like an accident, so it didn't look like well, a murder. Ashenden backed out of it. Ashenden wasn't there. He was looking through a telescope. Yeah, but he was with them on the mountain. Yes, initially, right. And, but I don't know if he backed out because the general really was the guy who was gonna who's gonna kill him, and he even says that a couple of times in the movie. It's like, hey, uh-uh, I'm the guy who's supposed to kill him. Yeah, but, but but throughout though, you you get that whole there's some dialogue between Ashton and Elsa where it sounds like he really is not a double O kind of an agent. He's not comfortable with this, but you got to remember when he talked to R and R said, hey, you gonna be able to do this? I mean, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course you're going to say that. He's nowhere around it when the kill happens. No. And then he's like, hey, this is not the life for me later in the film. And then, really, we never do see him. Well, we'll see as we go through the movie what happens. But 
I think he's uncomfortable with the whole situation, but the general was the guy who was going to do the killing. Well, yeah, the, the, the general's all for it. The general right? will kill anybody. He'll... You know, the general could be a double O. Yeah, he was laughing about yeah. the guy off the mind. <laughs> so we, we killed the wrong guy. I, I think I think that Ashton would be better in an informational type spy thing, not as a as a killer. Yeah, well, the, the good the thing here is they they get confirmation they killed the wrong guy, and I think the general says something like these buttons are more more common more than, common we, than thought. we thought, and he laughs. He's like, yeah. he's like oh. oops, <laughs> yes. After the next guy, we got to get the real one now. So so anyway, they they killed the wrong guy, and uh, they're both feeling a little remorse. Elsa and Ashton, the general, no. Yeah, general was fine with it. He's fine. So they want to quit. They. And he writes that he's resigning. He's going to write to R. He's writing to R saying he resigned. So the general does not like this. And he's going to say R does not accept your resignation. Oh, and I love I love the way he does that. Because he goes he goes into this, resigned. What does this word mean in the middle of war? Impossible. Then, yeah, uh, a couple yeah. sentences later, later. Imagine if the whole army in the front line do this resign business. And then if the most respectful Mr. R does not accept your resignment... And he certainly will not. Yeah, he won't. And this, again, kind of go to some Bond films like License to Kill, where Bond is trying to resign. When M yells at him and says, this is not a country club, 007. (laughs) Just like, ah, okay, this is the same kind of thing where the general's yelling at him like, hey, no, you're you're not quitting. We got a job to do here, and it's important for the country. But Ashton wants to, to go. So the general's not accepting any of this, really, with with Ashington resigning and any of this kind of stuff. So he wants to meet privately with Ashington, and so they're going to kind of continue the mission. And they figure out a few things. And the general has some connections. He met some woman because he's kind of a... He's He's a a womanizer. He's a womanizer. Boy, a double O kind of a guy. Somebody will go out and spy and kill. Yeah, the whole movie, he's a womanizer. And he meets this woman who's fiance works in this chocolate factory theoretically a chocolate factory but it's really a german spy post office and her boyfriend knows this and so now they know this and as a message had come through the day before for the spy they are after the boyfriend knows who the german spy is so there was a message that went through this post office about the german spy and this boyfriend of hers knows who the German spy is. So the general is saying, hey, we got to go continue this mission. So Ashenden is now intrigued. He tells Elsa he'll be gone for a couple of hours or whatever. And so he hasn't resigned. And he leaves with the general to go pursue what's going to happen at the German spy back, post office. Back in the saddle again. Back in the <laughs> saddle. Hey, oh, we, we, we promised promise we wouldn't sing yeah. anymore. Right. Oops. <laughs> All right, so at the post office, just to summarize it quickly, they they there's chaos. They get known. They're, it's like, oh, yeah, these guys, they get a note saying, hey, these guys are there, and they start chasing them. They cause a diversion and so on. But there is someone there who's trying to help them. He hands them a note after a little bit, and it's in German, and I'll, I'll read it in German because, I you know, I speak German. Oh, no, I don't. I'm you sorry. You don't. I'm Dan, sorry. I don't know if I want to hear this. <laughs> Baron Stechter nach Damascus Uber Nick nennt sich Marvin. Okay, sorry. I, I'm I'm glad that was written in in German. The only thing we really need to get out of that was the word Marvin. Yeah. Now they know the spy is Marvin. Okay, that's the point of the whole thing. There, this guy who's been wooing Elsa. So now we're cutting to the scene where Elsa is checking out of the hotel and she's leaving. 
she runs into Marvin and she convinces him to let her go with him. She asks where he's going. He says, Greece. But you can tell he actually didn't want her tagging along. When she asked where he was going, he His gets eyes. this look. Yeah, he's looking like, yeah. I really don't. Oh, I'm going to uh, Greece. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, but then he thinks, oh, she's yeah. pretty good looking. Maybe, yeah, you know. Yeah. But, the, and they're heading, <laughs> but they're heading to the train. No. Yeah, they are going to the train. It's uh, a train, Dan. Wow. Go figure. A train in a spy movie. Isn't this something? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> really? What okay. Let's see. We saw that one, uh, 39 Steps, and, many more, train and many more movies to come. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff we're going to see. So Elsa and Marvin head to the train, and Ashton calls the hotel and finds out that she and Marvin left for the train station. And so Ashton and the general, of course, they got to head to the train station now. Yeah, now this is where it gets a little tricky, and it, you really it, have it, to pay attention. It does. Because there's some people standing in front of the, some trains, and there are signs on those trains. One of the signs says Athens, and the other one says Constantinople. And you have to pay attention. I missed that five times. Yeah, I it, I had to watch it a few times because yeah. I'm like, okay, this is I conceptually knew what happened, but until I actually read the signs behind yeah, them. Yeah, because there's a lot going on, and you're looking at them. You're looking yeah. at their faces. You're looking at their interaction, and you're not paying attention to the signs on the trains behind them and whatever. Well, and and the first one is 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 Athens. So when Marvin's sitting there telling her, yeah, oh, I'm going to Greece. You're thinking, okay, you you He's don't think Athens. of it, but. There's actually the two different trains. you got to know that. So there's a lot that goes on here. But in short, Marvin tells Elsa, I'm going to go get some cigarettes. And then what he really is doing is going to ditch her and get on the train to Constantinople um, instead of Greece, like he had told her. So she's going to end up on the Greece chain yeah. as far as he's concerned. So it's a little confusing. It's like, yeah. why did he agree in the first place for her to go? And now he gets to the train station and he's like, ah, this is a bad idea. Well, she kind of cornered him. And yeah. like like yeah. we said before, he, he didn't look like he went. That's why when he said, yeah, I'm going to Greece. He's a spy. He's he he should have just said, no, get out. But yeah, he didn't. But he didn't. But anyway, here we and are. And so now we're in this conundrum. So Ashton and the general, of course, show up. They talk things through. They see Elsa. They they call her over, and Ashton is convinced that Marvin was going to go to Constantinople because if you remember at the beginning of the movie when he's talking to R, R tells Ashton, "Hey, he, he's got to not get to Constantinople. Yeah. That's your mission. Yeah, right. So the three of them go over." And they go to the Constantinople train, and yeah. they get on it. Yeah, and they get on, and then I, I'm wondering, wait, don't you need tickets? You know, yeah, there's no go tickets. somewhere or whatever. And there's yeah, that there's that know. cut in where they're calling Colonel the the, the Colonel, yeah. and he's in the hot tub or the spy. I mean, the the, the sauna. The sauna. He's and so he's he's in the sauna, and he says, "I hope he gets him before he gets to Turkey." Right. And so we now know that there's been some communication back to headquarters that yeah. the plans changed here a little bit. But we don't know how much other communication, and that's going to be important in just a minute. But Marvin, gets he, he sees Elsa on the train, and he's surprised she's there because she was supposed to be on the train going to Greece. Right, exactly. And, and he's, he asks her, he's, he, he's like, what are you doing on this train? Yeah, and then you see her say, hey, no, I'm alone. Because he, he, he's cornering her. He's like, are you alone on the train? Do these guys come with you or whatever? And, he, and she says, no, no, they're not on the train with her. So okay now you see her allegiance really is still here because it was iffy there because you'd think what she do with marvin yeah and going she, off traveling with marvin yeah because she didn't know that it was a ruse right and she so, didn't know he was a spy yet right so or, she or was, the guy so she was going to go off with him right now what, what i love about this though is especially with this confusion here is how hitchcock is just so great at creating this kind of tension 
Yeah. There's a lot of it in this train scene. Yeah, it's great. And obviously we're going to see in a million other train scenes and all kinds of spy movies to come. I mean, they're all over the place. And they're a great way to have people confined and to be able to say, okay, we're all in the same place and we're going to have to have some interactions and we can't go anywhere. Yeah, train scenes are great. Agatha Christie, all of her stories were you're trapped in a play yeah, mouse ex- trap. Exactly. And, or murder on the Orient Express. The concept is good. Yep. That, hey, there you are. You have to have interaction. Something's got to happen here. So the last 13 minutes of the film are this train scene. And really, you should definitely watch this movie. It's a great movie. But the thirteen last 13 minutes of this train scene thing are terrific. You're going to love it. So we saw this again in 39 Steps, the 39 Steps for the first time with the train scene. You're going to see it again in movies like From Russia with Love, with Bond and Red Grant. Live and Let Die with Tihi, Mission Impossible, the 1996 uh, film with Hunt versus Phelps, and, of course, the great helicopter chase. Oh, that chase is yeah. wonderful. That was so it's a, tra- it's a train scene, but they throw that helicopter yeah, in. It's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a great added it touch. Add a little dimension to it. Yeah. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me with Bond and Jaws, Spectre with Bond and Hink, Skyfall, Octopussy, Born Ultimatum. There's train scenes in all these spy Lots of trains. Aren't there lots yeah. of trains? This, this train scene is terrific. Watch it. It's great. And there's lots of stuff happening here. Now, again, I'm going to go back to the sauna scene. The British assume, because we don't know that they really got confirmation that the German spy was dead. And so they no. they, so they think Marvin may still be on this train. Right. They Last they knew, they weren't going to be on the same train. They were going to Greece, and Marvin might be going to Constantinople. So they're, they're going to bomb this train, the, the, the British forces. Yeah, and really, there is no you, you don't feel this concept. Oh, oh, geez, our guys might be on that train too, Ashington and Elsa and and the general. They they say, hey, we're we're gonna bomb this train because Marvin might be on this. Train. He's he's our mission, and yeah, right. this is war. So so the Brit they they start bombing the train and they hit the tracks right in front of the train eventually, and the train derails and there's a big crash and all kinds of things are happening here and and, and actually for a movie from back then and now we have to remember this is hitchcock but that was really well done the way that crash was done yeah it was great i mean you listen to the crackling of the fire yeah <laughs> that to me is like the the ultimate of this scene you, you, of course there's metal crunching but the crackle of the fire is it's so intense but you hear it and you think, oh, that's just that's just good it's sound ex- effects. It's, it's right, yeah. Yeah, that's just perfect. And so so, the, so then we see the demise eventually of Marvin. The general and Ashton and Nelson and Marvin, they all survive the crash, but then Marvin shoots the general and then he dies. Yeah. And then we get Ashton and Elsa surviving and eventually happily ever after, they get married apparently and they send a note when they get back. Yeah, I, as soon as the train crashes and all the stuff is happening, then you see newspapers flipping on the screen about the advances the Allies are making now. This, there's a surrender to General Allenby, advances in the East, and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, th- this killing of Marvin has helped the cause and helped contain the war and, it, and, and make advances for the Allies. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the work you did as a spy had a direct effect on us winning the war is really the message of this, the, the last part of the movie. And for, if you remember in our real-life podcast, we talked about the heroes of Telemark where they went after the heavy water plant. Yeah. And that was, again, another real turning point of the war where your efforts got rewarded by us. And that's a real event. And that's a real event. Yeah. 
So here you see Ashton and Elsa, although they didn't really kill Marvin. That was their goal. We go kill Marvin, the general and Elsa and Ashton. Well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Bond never did half the stuff he was supposed to do anyway. There's right? a lot of stuff Bond failed to do, but here at least they they got him on the train. They are on the train with him, and so the efforts they did helped at least get the guy killed, but they didn't do it themselves personally. So they kind of failed at their mission, but the guy's dead. Yeah, you just, and like you said, a lot of stuff like this happened in the Bond movies where, you know, he's supposed to do one thing or another and all, all, all kinds of things fail when Bond's involved. In the end of Goldfinger, Bond doesn't stop the bomb from going off. Somebody else does, but they still win at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's the good part. <laughs> <laughs> really. Now, you mentioned they sent the postcard, and we mentioned this way at the beginning of this podcast. What I love about it is the note to the colonel says, quote, home safely, but never again, unquote. And as we all know, you should never say never again. So Secret Agent is a great movie. It's a must-see. If you're a spy movie fan and you haven't seen Secret Agent, go see it free on YouTube, or you could you could purchase a DVD. And uh, it is black and white. We've talked about this before. I love black and white movies. There's some people who won't see movies because they're black and white. This is a really well done black and white movie. It is. And you'll see it in in a lot of collections, Alfred Hitchcock movie collections, uh, DVD collections or Blu-ray collections and stuff. So you could buy a whole set of Hitchcock movies and this will be one of them for yeah, that's, sure. Yeah, that's how I got mine. It was on one of those type of collections. Yeah. So this is a great film. It sets the tone for a lot of spy movies to come. A lot of spy movies look back at this movie, and they're really taking things from this movie and putting them in the more modern movies, the train scenes, the casinos, all this other stuff that comes from these kind of movies. It's pretty cool. And this is an international intrigue spy movie for the first time. I mean, you had Scotland and England in the 39 steps, but this one starts in England goes to switzerland to constantinople and so on and even though it's mostly filmed in a studio it's still an international spy caper really for the first time where it's more global than than the 39 steps definitely worth the time to see uh, how well this was done in 1936 and, and the, to see the, the all the mas- elements the masterful work of hitchcock yeah and he was he was a young director at that right. time I mean, this is a couple of films into his his career a bigger career Yes, he became more and more well-known. Again, a lot of his stuff that he put in this movie, uh, you see in more movies to come. And it's Hitchcock and the writing and the cinematography, terrific. That wraps up our treatment of Secret Agent, 1936 Alfred Hitchcock movie. We want to give a little shout-out again to the Double O Files in the Netherlands who just wrapped up in the last couple of months their first year of podcasting, and they got great stuff. So, Congratulations, guys. Yeah, take a listen to them. So happy anniversary to Don, Tyler, Anthony, and Martin out there at the Double O Files. And we'll give another shout-out to our friend Marty in Scotland for running Thunderballs. He helps us a lot with photos from the Bond era. Thanks a lot, Marty. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast on The Secret Agent. This is Tom Pizzotto. And Dan Silvestri. From SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and in Google Play. That helps us a lot. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and Instagram, too.